mentioned last week at the beginning of the Advent season, our, our message would be, uh, series would be surprised by hope. And we said how hope is such a precious virtue and gift that when we don't have it, life seems hard. It seems extremely challenging. It seems very difficult. It seems extremely uh, uh, almost unbearable at times. It's so easy to slip into despair. Hope is such a precious gift. And we said that hope was not simply optimistic thinking or positive thinking or thinking good thoughts or happy thoughts. Rather, hope was having a conviction in the promises of God for his people. It, hope sprang forth from the character and the nature of who God is. And from knowing who God is in our life, we're able to grow in hope. Hope is something the Lord gives us in our baptism. It's something that's a precious gift to us. We said last week, too, that looking at the names of Jesus uh, from the prophet Isaiah, uh, we said that we could find out what it is that the character of God is like. From Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see this on Christmas cards all the time, this time of the year, particularly uh, from Isaiah. It says, for unto us a child is born, a son, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Last week we said, we looked at the, the, the title Wonderful Counselor, which means the immensity, the enormity of God's love for us, that God has demonstrated his love for us through the cross of his son, and that he so loved the world that he gave his only son. That hope springs forth in our hearts when we come to know God's love for us, a love that cannot be exhausted, a love that's more larger, that's numerous than all the stars in the sky. As far as your eye can see in the sky, so great is God's love for you. That's the immensity of his love. And we call him father, and he calls us son and daughter. So today, we'll be looking at the title of Jesus called Prince of Peace. And we begin with Baruch, our first reading today from the Old Testament. Baruch was a prophet writing to Israel in the midst of their exile. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and 10 tribes were scattered. Now, this was such a horrendous thing for Israel. It's kind of like having your family split up all across the country. And on top of that, they're fighting with each other, you know, and there's division in your family. And that would be horrendous for any parent, for any, uh, you know, for even for any family unit. That's what was happened to Israel. Twelve tribes, ten were scattered. They were fighting with each other. Lord comes and says there's a time when the Lord will come to restore his people. He's coming to, once again, gather back his people, make them one again, to make them one as a nation, one as, as not only you know, ten scattered tribes, but twelve united tribes. It would be like all your family, grandchildren, coming to your house for a great anniversary celebration, a Christmas celebration, some special celebration, and they would be united in heart and mind with each other. That would be a wonderful day for you. That's what Baruch was talking about. He said, that day is coming, he says. He says, arise, Jerusalem, stand upon the height and look towards the east, and you'll see ch children gathered from the east and from the west, at the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that God has remembered them. In other words, Baruch was saying God's going to surprise Israel with hope by restoring his people again. That day would come in the ministry of Jesus, and John the Baptist emerges onto the scene today. John is the forerunner to Jesus. He is Jesus' cousin. 
Luke wants us to see, however, that John emerges onto the scene in a very politically corrupt situation. Look at some of the people, you know, I read a whole bunch of names in the gospel today. That's not by mistake that Luke puts that in there. Uh, Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, uh, the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Luke wants us to know that he's not writing mythology. He's not telling fairy tale stories, that he's telling real history and God acting in the midst of real people's lives and real history. Look at some of these people. Tiberius Caesar was the Caesar that was the emperor that reigned during Jesus' adult life. Tiberius Caesar was known for peace in the Roman Empire. There was no fighting going on. But morally, his life, and privately, his life was totally corrupt. It was, it was, he had disordered sexuality. He murdered those who did, not, who did not commiserate with him. He was known as a ruthless leader, and he even died by being smothered by people that hated him. Yet he was known for his reign of peace over the Roman Empire. Pontius Pilate, most of us know him from the Passion narratives, right? Pontius Pilate was a morally corrupt governor. Oftentimes he would, he would take people, try them without a trial, basically, and he would murder them. He was known for his corruptness, for his insulting, uh, abusive leadership of the people. And then, of course, there was the two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, who were facilitated Jesus's trial before Pontius Pilate because of their wickedness and because of their corruptness. What Luke wants us to see that in the midst of this politically corrupt, real-life situations, both in the synagogue as well as in the political arena, God raises up hope for his people in the person of John the Baptist. Just when you think everything is going south and everything is so sour, God raises up hope for us. He surprises his people with hope. And he does that with John the Baptist. And John comes with a word of repentance. The word repentance means metanoia, which means doing about face. It means something is about to break into your life in such a way that it's so strategic for your life that you need to stop everything and embrace what's coming to you. John was saying one mightier than him would come who would baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. We'll look at more of that next week about the mightier one who's coming. But today, repentance is the door that opens our heart to everything God wants to do in us and how he wants to restore and he wants to surprise us with hope in our life. Repentance opens the window to the Lord's working in our life. So repentance means in the Greek, it means metanoia, which means to do an about-face, to change your mind about what really is significant and what's really important. Sometimes we think of repentance, we think of all the sins I've committed and I have to ask for forgiveness. And that's okay on one level, but that's not really what it means here. It means that, as Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God is in your midst, he says. In other words, the kingdom is breaking into your life. God's about to do something in your life, so stop everything and open your heart to it. Whatever you thought was important isn't that important. So, repentance then. God's heart and God's desire is that all men come to knowledge of the truth and that there is one mediator between God and us, and that is the man Christ Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for many. 
And in Isaiah chapter 9, we see Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The word for peace in the Hebrew language means shalom, which means nothing missing, nothing broken. That Jesus is the bridge builder between God and us. That Jesus is the mediator, the one who mediates between God and us. And he does that through the cross of his son. So if God desires all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth, then Jesus is the reconciler to our life. And he does that through the cross that he bore for us. There's a story of a man by the name of Don Richardson. Don is retired now, but he was a missionary to uh, Indonesia. He felt the Lord call him to minister to a tribe called Swahili in Indonesia. The Swahili tribe was known for being at war with their neighboring villages. In fact, they were a ruthless tribe. They were filled with treachery, deceit, and murder. Don felt that it was almost impossible to bring the gospel to these people. But he found out Legit was called the peace child. And that is that when a baby was born, they would take the baby and give the baby to another village. And as long as the baby remained alive, there would be peace between that village and their village, the Swahili village. Don thought he would seize this, this legendary, this legend that existed amongst the people and take advantage of it. So he said to them, he said, God has a peace child too, and his name is called Jesus. And Jesus lives eternally, and through him we can have peace between God and us and God and each other, he says if you put your faith in the Son of God. As a result of that, many people in the Swahili tribe put their faith in Jesus. And Jesus conquered their hearts, and they were able to have peace with each other. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, he says, For God was so pleased to have the fullness dwell in him, meaning Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. The cross of Jesus is God's means of establishing peace with us. It means that God is giving forgiveness, but forgiveness is only good for the heart that repents and opens up and receives that forgiveness. But the Swahili tribe learned that when they allowed God's love to forgive them, they in turn can be able to forgive one another and live at peace with one another. They found that the God's love had the power to conquer their hearts, their angers, their resentments, their bitterness, their grudges, their offenses. Allow him to change and conquer their heart. How much unhappiness, how much unrest, how much lack of peace is in our life because we hold on to grudges, resentments, and bitterness because we're easily offended by others. Today, with social media, it's very easy to get offended. Every time we get offended, that dwells in our spirit, that dwells in the depths of us, and it keeps building and keeps building. God's love, when we open our heart to forgiveness, we find that it has the power to conquer our hearts and change it. The Swahili tribe learned that, that Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He was the mediator between God and us, and that the Prince of Peace and his death and resurrection had the power to conquer our hearts when we repent and open our hearts to the 
forgiveness he brings. How much unrest, how much lack of joy, how much lack of peace, how much lack of sense of real wholeness doesn't exist in us because we live in resentments, bitterness, and grudges, and offenses. As we prepare for Christmas then, John the Baptist would say to us, repent. Don't hold on to that stuff any longer. Let it go. Forgive to the Prince of Peace. Allow him to conquer your heart with his love. Allow him to forgive you. Receive his forgiveness so that you now have the ability to forgive those who offended your life as well. So let's pray. So Father, thank you today that you want to surprise us with hope by opening our hearts to the Prince of Peace, Jesus, whose death on the cross and whose resurrection has the power to not only forgive us, but conquer our hearts. So this morning, Lord, I pray for my sisters and brothers here, who, who's, some, some whose lives are very much snared by unforgiveness, resentments, bitterness, grudges they've been holding on to for a long time. And Lord, this has wreaked havoc in their life. This has caused unrest. This has caused uh, sorrow. This has caused grief. This has caused a lack of peace in their hearts. So I pray this morning, Lord, that we would repent and turn away from these things and open our heart widely to the forgiveness you bring us through the cross of your Son. Lord, I pray for the grace this morning to be able to forgive those who have offended us, that you would give us the grace this morning to be able to forgive those who have hurt us, that you give us the grace this morning to be able to, to let go of the, those things we've been offended by in our life. And we pray this through Christ our Lord.